Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And am I talking to any spirit walkers today? You want to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending Jesus, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace I think we could all use some life and peace today Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus, help us. But you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, crucify your cravings, we've preached on that, you will live. For as many that are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage. Let me say that again. You did not receive the spirit of bondage. 
again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Aren't you thankful we can call him Father? We can know him as a father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You know, Jesus didn't save you because he saw your suffering. He saved you because he wanted you. These are two different things. Many times we think, I'm suffering, I'm in pain, there's a crisis. That's not the priority of why God comes and steps into your world. First and foremost, he comes into your world because he wants you, because he loves you. And as we move forward as a church, as we go deep as a church, can you be resolute in your mind that you don't question the love of God? You don't question his purpose for you. I'm not saying there's times we don't go through where we're like Thomas, where we doubt, but Christ can turn your doubt when given to him, that he can say, this is what it looks like, because you don't focus on the crisis, you focus on Christ. That wherever your crisis is right now, whatever your circumstance is, if you can shift it to Christ, you will make it through the crisis. You will see bondage break off of you. You will see those things that which come to try to ensnare you and enslave you, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You will see freedom be your portion. And if we're gonna be all that God has called us to be, We've talked about Satan and demon have limits. The world has limits, but you serve a limitless God. And if we can partner with him and see the fullness of his spirit come about, but it doesn't start unless you walk in the spirit first. You've got to walk with him. You've got to know him. And today we're going to be talking about how to break off the bondage of a lukewarm spirit. You've heard it said lukewarm Christians and when I hear that, I don't know about you, but sometimes you think it's an oxymoron. Because how can you be a fully devoted follower of Christ and be lukewarm? The two are like oil and water. They don't mix. And I think we've so justified in not wanting to be labeled as radical or not wanting to lose friends or lose employment. We, we have a fear of a loss to be say, I'm sold out for Jesus, for his work, for his purpose. And so... Um, I want to pray, and then we're going to jump in today. Father, we thank you that you're our bondage breaker. Father, I pray that it be said of us at the end of our lives, we were so filled with your spirit that bondage was not our portion, but liberty was. God, we thank you through this. We've learned to crucify cravings and appetites that we don't live out of the lowest version of ourselves. We live out of the fullness of our identity with Christ. We thank you that we can know you as Father. We can be close with you. We can be like Adam and Eve who walked with you in the pool of the day. We want to walk with you, Jesus. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to be made more like you today. Today, we celebrate our freedom in Christ. Every Sunday is a day where we look to the resurrected Christ and we say his resurrection is our resurrection. His power is our power. His life, he traded for our life. It doesn't make sense. But we live this life growing and moving in that mystery of being made more like Jesus. Father, we thank you today. As the word gets open, let it be nourishment to us. Let us walk deeper with you. 
Let us not be triggered and offended, bitter and angry people. That is not our portion. But let us wrestle with truth because it's through the wrestling we become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, you can be seated. Thank you, worship team. Aren't you thankful for God's presence that's here? And you chose to show up to church on a three-day weekend, so there's an extra blessing for you today. Well, I've loved all that the Lord has been doing, how he's been moving, and um, all that's happening in our church, and so many things that are happening behind the scenes just to, to see and set up a great miracle in all different ways in our church. But I want to talk about breaking the bondage of being lukewarm. And Christian's going to bring out a fence, and you might be wondering, why is there a large green fence in the back? If I could, I would wire this thing up with electric, and it would be an electric fence, because my goal by the end of today is that whatever fence you're sitting on, that it would be electrocuted and you would get off the fence, you would get off being lukewarm in whatever area of your life. And you would stop riding the fence of different places in your life. You would stop trying to be in both worlds. You know, the scripture teaches so plainly that we can't have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, to be and experience all that he has for us, you've got to put stakes in the, in the ground. You've got to be committed. You've got to understand that not the crowds and and um, aren't going to follow you or, or cheer you on. That there's going to be a cost to your faith. The great theologian Bonhoeffer said, "When Christ calls a man, He bids him to come and die." And if you've not experienced death somewhere in your journey with God, where the new man, where the new you can come to life, then you need to go revisit and do some soul searching and some soul checking of what side of the fence am I on? Am I trying to be in both worlds? Because here's the truth. Satan doesn't care if you're in God's camp and you have a lot of God, but just a little bit of him. He's satisfied with that. But you go on the other side of the fence and if you wanna be fully devoted to, to Jesus, he is a jealous God and he will have no partaking, no justification, he will not intake any of your compromise to have a little bit of the world, a little bit of the culture, a little bit of the enemy's uh, playground, and to have all of Jesus. It's either all or nothing when it comes to serving God. And I feel that this is a place that um, if you just look at the mainstream voice of Christianity or kind of the mainstream message is we kind of stray away from or they kind of stray away from these type of messages. That we want to be seeker sensitive and we want to not offend anybody and we want to make you feel okay about having a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You can have really bad doctrine, but you say you believe and love Jesus, so we'll just take it at face value. The mess we see and the chaos we see in the world today is because this synchristic mixture of a little bit of the world, a little bit of my own truth, a little bit of my own way. It, this mixture has kind of grown up and matured. And what we're going to see today in, in the book of Revelation is it discusses our Heavenly Father. 
and he spits that out. And he says, either be hot or be cold. And so I pray wherever you are straddling the fence, and if you've ever tried to sit on top of a fence for any amount of time, it would take three to five minutes and there would be a pain that would start to shoot up from your groin on up, amen? So sitting on the fence, we were never intended to do. But many of us, this is our normal experience in Christianity. And this is not our portion. This is not what God calls us to. You know, I love what Jesus says. In Luke 21, we see the apocalyptic literature and we see that when we begin to see the signs of the end, when we begin to see the birth pains take place, when we see the chaos and calamity that's at play. And I think many of us, we would look back when all of this pandemic, this pandemic took place, um, we would say it was a bit of a dress rehearsal. Maybe you saw the meme where it was, uh, it was one of my favorites, uh, where you saw someone looking out the window and they had a Bible in their hands and saying, which book of Revelation are we on today? And you just kind of woke up and you said, what, what's going to be the news cycle today? Or what are we going to deal with today? And, um, you know, Jesus speaks to these times. And he speaks to two different camps. In Luke 21, 26, he says, there's going to be a camp that says this. It says, men's hearts will fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. And my prayer is that we're not a church. When we see chaos and calamity, when we see all of these things come down from politics to church life to all the ways and, and spaces of culture, that we not be like this people where our heart fails from fear and that the expectation, at the expectation of what's coming on the earth. Many are riddled with fear and responding fear and sitting church every Sunday and their first response is fear instead of faith. So Jesus says, don't be in that camp. You read two verses later in verse 28, Luke 21, 28. He says, now to the church, to the remnant, that we're, when these things begin to happen, we're to look up and to lift up our heads because our redemption draws near. Can we be a people that when all hell's breaking loose, when this is happening, that is happening, this doesn't make sense, that we're a people that first look up and lift up our head and look to our Redeemer. Look to Christ and not our crisis. Look to Christ and not what's coming down the pipeline, what's in the news cycle, and get all freaked out, get all disheveled. This has to be a fortitude that we build with Christ. Jesus warns of this, and that we not be riddled with fear, but we, we be the ones who look up and we lift up our heads. And I'm telling you, if you'll be a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, that your response is to look up and to lift up your head, fear will not be your portion, but faith in Jesus will. And you'll be able to walk with him through any crisis in your life and you won't cave and you won't fold. So this is good truth we have today. And what I want us to see and what I want us to think of is um, in James 4, 4 through 5, this is where we see God's heart toward you. This is where we see why we can't ride the fence, why we can't have one foot in the world, one foot in the flesh, and expect for us to find the fullness of what Christ has for us. James says this, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Well, do you not think that the scripture says in there, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, jealously? If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if you are walking in the spirit, know that there is a conviction, there is the spirit of Jesus in you that is yearning to pull you away from the world and closer to Christ. This is a great strength that we have, that there is such a conviction, not a condemnation, but a conviction that I don't want to get close to the other side because maybe in my past, in my former life, I've tasted it, I've seen of it, I want nothing to do with it. So the Holy Spirit that's in you is always drawing you closer to Jesus. And this should make you celebrate because when you fill that part of your life, when you fuel the spirit that's in you with scripture and prayer and fasting and consecration and giving God something to work with, is that part of your life is fueled. Now, understanding this as well, people who are on the fence will say, well, God needs to get over himself. He's this crazy, jealous lover who is, you know, won't let me do anything and have any fun. And we start saying the wrong things and asking the wrong questions. I like to put it this way. If if I were to go and have a conversation with my wife, Brianna, and I were to say, hey, I'm going to have a conversation with you. I'm, I'm working through something. And um, if I were to ask her, look how silly this would sound, how close can I get to this other female and it not be adultery? Can you tell me where that line would be? I think she would look up at me and say, what are you talking about? And I think so many times we do this with God. How close can I get to the line of sin? How close can I have just enough of the world to fancy my flesh, to tickle my flesh, to still make me feel relevant where I, I know what's happening, I know what's going on, whatever the, the justification is. And what it sounds like is what I just described to you. And it, it's just crazy. But this is where we go and we justify, but we've got to understand time and time again in Scripture, we see that God is jealous for you. God wants you, not what you can bring to him, not what you can do for him. You are not a human doing, you are a human being. And many times we get in the place of it's, it's all about what I do for him and, and faith and works. There is a relationship of that. We see it in James. But we've got to understand, first and foremost, it comes through a heart posture. It comes through yieldedness and surrender is how you enforce your life where you're not moving from one side to the other of the fence. You're not in limbo. Nothing ever gets accomplished in limbo. You don't know where you're at. You don't know where you're going. You don't know which way's up, which way's down. You don't know your purpose. You don't know your assignment. You think you want that group of friends, but you want your church. Whatever it is, you're living on both camps, and, and that's just not simply how it's done. And if you straddle the fence, you would, in quoting Bonhoeffer again, you would be what would be considered a believing the lie of cheap grace. Cheap grace is this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Grace is costly, it is not cheap. And if we live a life of where great, the grace of God is so cheap, where we think we can do anything and everything and God won't lift his presence from us, God won't lift his anointing from us, we're not the one that says, or God is not the one who lifts it. We're the one who makes a conscious choice when we cross the fence and we turn and we walk the other way. Now, repentance gets us back in the presence of God. 
But when you practice sin time and time again, some of these hard sayings of Jesus, when you read them, they should put the fear of God in you, as it does me. You know, things like where it says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Many of us think we can get to, the, to heaven or get to Jesus on the broad way, and it'll just all make sense when we get there. Or, you know, I'm, as the reformer Martin Luther said, we're just simply snow-covered dung with atonement covered over us. That there's never any personal transformation that's supposed to take place in your life. And I refuse to believe that, that the cross is just some bloody atonement that was thrown over you wretched sinner. And there's never any personal transformation where you become more like Jesus. And some people live this way. This is more in the Calvinistic way of thinking that it requires nothing of you. That there's no uh, partnership with the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. That there's no work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That it's just throw the blood over you and we'll see you at eternity. And this is faulty thinking. This is faulty theology. Here's my first point today. If you're taking notes, write this down. This will help you break the bondage of lukewarm Christianity in your life. If you want full, the full-time benefits of Jesus, you must stop being a part-time Christian. Many of us, we're on the fence. We're confessing it till we possess it. We're blabbing it until we grab it. We're on the fence saying the promises of God are yes and amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. You got all the scriptures, but what you don't understand is as you're straddling this fence, those blessings and those promises are for full-time, sold-out, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians. And so we have a culture and a church that is sitting on the fence saying all the right things, but their life does not line up with their confession. So God can't touch it. God can't bless it because there's no sacrifice for the fire of God to consume. And this is where the partnership with God comes into play, that we expect full-time benefits. We expect God to put 100% output when we're putting 50 or 30% input. And this is just not how it works in the kingdom. But we can believe this lie that I can go get under somebody else's fire or my life is hell for six months, then I go to a conference or I go to church when I need something, and then I feel the tinglys, I, I praise Jesus till I feel better, and then I go about it and I got my, my spiritual high till I need it again. When we're called to have a consistent burn with Jesus, an everyday rhythm with Jesus, and this is gonna be something I'm gonna be teaching on I have a mini-series I'm starting next week called Sacred Rhythms, and it's setting yourself up for spiritual formation. And the reason, the thing I've seen through my journey of being a young pastor now for close to eight years is when there's bad spiritual formation, what your foundation is determines everything else that comes on top. So a lot of things in the world of evangelicalism where there's a smorgasbord of theology, a smorgasbord of how we get to Jesus, how we're transformed, is you've got to allow the Spirit of God to deconstruct. I know that's a trigger word these days, but you have to deconstruct to the point down to the purity of the gospel in Jesus and then reconstruct with the scriptures, not your feelings, but you've got to have good rhythms in your life of where you're constantly, consistently seeking Christ, not I run to him when I'm in need. Things like this, prayer is your last resort, not your first response. So I want us to be a church that doesn't go from spiritual high spiritual high 
spiritual high. God uses those things. It ignites things in your life. But you've got to have the consistency of walking with him. And you've got to create a fire for yourself and not look for somebody else's fire. Burn underneath that. You've got to go get it for yourself. Joshua 24 says this, and you know it because you probably have the Hobby Lobby pendant in your house or the cute piece of woodwork in your house. This is one of those Christian scriptures we love quoting, right? Sometimes you walk into people's house and you're like, I know you're not a Christian, but they have this up in their house, okay? It says this, it says, now, there, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served, someone say, on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served and were on the side of the river of the gods of the Amorites in the land that you dwell. Here's the part we know. But, for, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is a powerful declaration, and I don't want to undermine the power of, of, of this scripture and, and, and the stake in the ground, the declaration, the the fidelity that it, it declares. But what we have to understand is that it's very defined. And what I love here is it doesn't say those who believe in the Lord, but those who serve the Lord. Now here's a litmus test for the authenticity of your faith is, are you one who just simply believes? Because I find a lot of people who just believe in God, they're usually on the fence. But when you serve God, you're on the right side of the fence. You, you understand that I had a past life. I had an old man. I had an old identity. I had an old name. And by serving God, it keeps you in the right lane. It keeps you on the right side of the fence. And uh, I, I've just seen it, and, and I'm trying to communicate the best I can. But when you're just one, or know people that, that live like hell, but they say they believe in God, there's usually not a serving of God that solidifies values and convictions and ethics and uh, all the things we see in Scripture of how we're to live and to walk out our faith. So we want to be those who follow Christ, just not accept Christ. We want to serve Christ, not just believe in Christ. Satan and demons believe in Christ. You know that, right? But they don't serve him. Serve Satan. So we want to be ones who aren't in the camp of, I just believe, but I serve him. I have fidelity to him. I am faithful to him. I am steadfast to him. And this is what sets you apart, and this is what insulates your life from straddling and going between both camps. Being a mature Christian goes from just having a relationship with God to having reverence for God. You know, I can be old school in this way, but when you come into God's house, there should be a reverence that is there. There shouldn't be a, just a sloppiness or um, you know, we want to be do everything in excellence. And I'm not saying this is just something in form, but it should be a posture of your heart when you walk in that I'm, I'm coming into somewhere different. This is not a Starbucks. This is the house of God. And the same is how you as the temple of God should live. That your body is the temple that the Holy Spirit lives in. So why would you live in both camps when you're a temple where his presence dwells? And your life is to build him a house that he glories in, that he lives in, that he works in and through your life. You know, sometimes you can feel like Elijah if you're standing for something and 
is standing alone. And we see in 1 Kings 18, 21, it says that Elijah came to all the people. And he said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If you want to look at a prophetic word for where our country's at, where the church is at, where the dividing line takes place between the sheep and the goats, between the wheat and the tares, it's this. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. But hear what the people did. They answered him, not a word. And I think this is what can happen. When you hear a message like this, when you're brought to a crossroad and you have to choose that part of your life, am I going to be in the world or am I going to get out of the world? Sometimes our response can be, I'm not really ready to commit. I'm not really ready to go all in. I'm not really ready for my flame to get ignited for Jesus. So I just don't say anything because it's too controversial. I want to be able to serve Baal and serve God. And you see this all throughout the Bible where the prophets of God would bring God's people to a point of decision. And many a times that is the response, is there was just silence. And I pray that we never be a church, you never be a people, that when you're put to the place of choosing where it might cost you something, that you don't stay silent. You don't be quiet, but you do what's right. You honor God, you serve him, not just with your confession, but with your life. This is where we live if we don't want to be on the fence. We've got to take the risk. We've got to step out in faith and make the decision. You know, I've, as I was saying, is sometimes we think just a little bit of sin doesn't really matter. And if you think of it this way, if you were whatever drink you're drinking this morning, if someone were to just say, hey, brother, how you doing? And then spit a little bit in that drink, it would contaminate the whole thing. You wouldn't try to scoop it out and maybe deal with it and keep drinking it. You'd throw it out. If your waiter walks by you and you're enjoying a nice salad and a little bit of dirt is sprinkled on that salad, you wouldn't try to scoop it off and separate the salad. It would be contaminated. The same is with God. Again, we have this thinking and this mindset, just God's okay with just a little bit of sin. And he's not okay because he's a killjoy that wants to take the fun from you. He knows the gateways and the pathways that that leads to, if not dealt with. He is a good father. A good father gives you the hard truth, even if it offends you, even if you don't understand it or it, it doesn't make sense in the time. Hindsight always speaks that I wish I would have listened to wisdom at the time when I was at that point of of a crossroad and making a decision. God yearns jealously. And when you think of covenant as we are in covenant and we're covenant people, is that we don't, um, God gave us everything. He gave us his heart and he expects us to give his heart back. That's just like in a marriage, if um, Bree has given me her heart and I only give her just a portion of it or just a little bit of it, I'm doing her a disservice, I'm doing our marriage a disservice, and the enemy knows if he can get in and keep you from fully giving your heart, then that's where everything turns into obligation. That's where you justify this or you justify that, because there's not the, the intimacy or the connection taking place between you and God. That's where the blockage always goes with the enemy. So 
again, we can't expect full-time benefits, but we're only part-time with Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is worthy of everything you are afraid of losing. Jesus is worthy of everything you're afraid of losing. I think this is a place, and this is a point that can be um, really pounded, is that a lot of us are afraid of stepping more fully into him because we don't know what's on the other side. It's the fear of the unknown. It's, it's um, am I degrading my life or am I going to lose my comfort? Am I going to lose money? Am I going to lose friends? Am I going to lose these earthly things that really mean nothing in the end? They should just be a resource and we steward them. But that can be such an idol where we're afraid if, if I go all in with him, what's behind me I'll miss or will be a loss or how do I chalk that up? How do I make sense of that? But we've got to be committed that if we're not going to ride the fence, is he is worthy of everything that our fear is telling you're going to lose. It's not going to make sense. There's going to be loss on the other side of it. He's worthy of your early mornings. He's worthy of the late nights. He's worthy of what you need to deplete out of your life, what you need to cancel out of your life. Things of where that are, are taking up precious real estate in your life, in your heart, even the, the places deep within you that the Holy Spirit wants to burrow down deep and to cause transformation in your life. And as I look at, at my life and things of where I was at crossroads, right, of if I step into this more fully, I mean, you got to understand, stepping into ministry at a young age, you're, you're essentially signing up for a lifetime. And you're signing up that as I stand before you, there's double judgment on my life for what I preach and what I communicate and what I teach to you. And so there's a part of it is I, there's this weight that is always on my shoulder. And it's that weight, if my heart disconnects from God, it can lower me very quickly. But when my heart stays on fire and I stay out of the lukewarm territory, it is fuel for what God's called me to. And this is how it is for your life, for your marriage, is the minute you start to see it as obligation or what you have to do or that you're not good enough or you don't have what it takes, you're too young, you're too old, you put the excuse on it, when that gets so heavy is it can rob the joy of what God is, wants to bring through what your assignment is in life. You will never regret what you give up or what you lose for the Lord, but what you keep for yourself, you will regret later in life when he asks you to give it up. I'm fully convinced, and this is what you have to do to have a resolute mindset, is you will never regret what you give up when the Lord asks you to give it up. But you will regret what you didn't, didn't give up when you stand before him or when he calls and brings forth and says, why am I not moving forward in my life? Well, back here, you didn't give up what I was calling you to give up or to walk into. And I often ask myself when I'm battling lukewarm places in my life, is what would my life look like if I jumped the fence and I give myself up to him more entirely? This is kind of what you got to envision. What would my life look like if I gave more to him, if I yielded more to him, if I surrendered more to him? And see, some call this radical living. That you're just radical, you're zealous for Jesus. But really, it's replacement, not being radical. Because when Jesus sets you free of some bondage, he doesn't leave an empty void, he replaces it with something. And this is the, the truth that we have. When, when you give up uh, this 
when you forgive your enemy, where you're angry and bitter, he'll put grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life. He replaces and fills your heart and your life with that. And many of us, we think that I gotta be this radical person that is just Jesus, 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 and every person I see, I have to evangelize and look like a spiritual nut. It's not what I'm talking about. Now, there's times and places, yes, you evangelize, but you've gotta see the full picture and the full context that the soul isn't just to be snatched in just a moment, though it does, but it's always more thorough if you can disciple the soul that was just snatched. And we live in a world that's all about just snatch the soul, but the soul was never discipled. And I wanna read you this because, and this is in our men's Bible study that's coming up in October, but it's New Day's Old Demons, and this is a part of it that speaks of what the enemy's strategy and the plan would be, and, and, and we're living in it. And if you're not aware of it, then you're a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. And it says this, if I were the devil, I would attack human life physically, starting in the womb. I would defund law enforcement, escalate murder, open the border, decriminalize hard drugs, and drive people to mental health and depression so they kill themselves. I would attack men, getting young men addicted to porn, video games, vaping, laziness. I would remove young men from the workforce, keep them from launching into manhood, and keep them overmothered, underfathered, and dependent upon the government from womb to tomb. I would attack the family by separating sex, marriage, gender, sexuality, making marriage and gender meaningless. I would have academic elites guided by deceiving spirits recast marriage and family as an antiquated, oppressive, and racist institution. I would cut off generations of children from their fathers so that men love sex but not women and children. Children with a bitter father wound would become dependent upon the government instead of a dad who loves them. I would attack people spiritually by closing the church globally and replacing the spirit of God with the spirit of fear so that people did not return to church. I would weaponize media and social media to promote lies about Christian leaders, boosting any sins or minor mistakes while suppressing all evil done by apostates. I would write school curriculum that treated the Bible as hate speech and anyone who believed it a dangerous bigot. I would get people so addicted to drugs, alcohol, social media, and porn that they would fry the brain God gave them with neural pathways deeply worn toward sickness and death. I would write the psychological, diagnostic, and statistical manual of mental health disorders to mention the soul zero times so that God, demons, and the Holy Spirit's deliverance were not even considered in helping hurting people. I would attack leadership and the authority and promote anarchy. I would send a riotous spirit of hate toward God, scripture, parents, police officers, soldiers, and past leaders. I would attack future legacies by having a generation of children sexually abused, mentally traumatized, and sexualized at a young age. I would use fear, social media, education, and peer pressure to create depression and mental health confusion. I would evangelize an entire generation to take blockers and a lifetime of hormones to deny their God-given gender and create mental and physical brokenness. I would castrate healthy children and give the state authority to seize custody from their parents to mutilate their genitalia in the name of care. If anyone stood against this, I would promote the lie that if they don't allow a child to make an irreversible lifelong decision, then the child will commit suicide and blame them for the death that I caused. I would attack the Christian church so that no one was left to contend for faith, for family, 
and for freedom. I would promote cowardly Christian leaders, starting with young, poorly read, naive ministry leaders in woke worship and creative departments who spend more money on their wardrobe than their library to deconstruct the faith. I would twist the word of God and deceive a generation of young Christians into apostasy. I would have a weak pulpit replace hard-hitting truth with soft-selling chaps. I would feed churchgoers a steady diet of spiritual garbage and godlike motivational talk so they knew more about their personality traits than God's divine attributes. I would send demonic sons of Judas to church and denominational boards to cancel and fire prophetic pastors and lie that anyone who is a troublemaker is an ungodly, unloving, and unkind. In short, I would convince churchgoers that to be a good Christian is to be nothing like Christ. I would pull no punches on Christians all week, but I would have their pastors pull their punches in the pulpit and not fight for them or teach them how to fight. And in all this, I would call it progress. Welcome to 2020. Welcome to the fight. And this is what the enemy's doing. And if you're not awake, if you're not vigilant, if you're not alert, you will fall into the system, you'll be a part of the problem, you will be deceived. It all happens when you make the decision to straddle the fence and not be sold out because of what cost is associated to you following Christ. Because understand it, following Christ costs you everything. It's not a cute little Sunday relationship we have with him. Everything. And we just don't say it from the pulpit. This is why we put our blood, sweat, and tears and to have ZCA to raise up kids, to raise up world changers, to give them a chance to encourage families, to preach these hard-hitting truths, to not get into big debt where we owe somebody something or can be controlled by some third party. But there's freedom in this church to say what needs to be said and to preach what needs to be preached and to give you the right diet and not some diet that's going to send you to hell. Number three is this, as we begin to close, and Corey, if you would help me. The best way to stop sin is to surrender totally to God. Some of us are lukewarm and love it. He put it on the t-shirt, I'm lukewarm and I am loving it. I'm getting the best of both worlds. What do you think? This isn't what it's called to be. Again, Galatians 5.16 says that if we walk in the Spirit, will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And understand this, I'm not here trying to punch the sheep and say, you're lukewarm, you're not. You're lukewarm, you're not, and have this list going in my head. That's between you and God. But what I'm saying today is you've got to wake up and be aware that there is a lukewarm spirit that is so deceptive, that is coming for the church, that is coming for your family, and wants to pacify you to sleep and to get you to a place of, I'm good with just enough, or I'm good with just this little bit of grace, and I've tried to be set free in this area, and I've failed time and time again, so it doesn't matter. Know this, everyone gets the Holy Spirit at salvation, but the Holy Spirit gets you when you surrender. This is why when we come into God's house, we should come in a posture of surrender. We should come in a posture to receive, not hard-hearted, mad at God, mad at the church, offended over whatever you're offended about, but you should come ready to receive 
in a posture of surrender to get the medicine you need to stay alert, to stay awake, and to stay ready. And in Romans 7, verse 9, if you put this up, it talks about that either um, you're going to walk in revival or another part of you is going to be revived. It says this, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Sometimes good things can come into your life, be a good relationship, it's family, maybe you were blessed with a promotion, money, whatever it is, but that good thing can revive bad things in your life if it's not channeled correctly. And I think if, as we look at the deeper deception, this is where a lot of Christians can get, is you thought it was a good thing, but it revives something that should have stayed dead in your life. And so this is what, again, why we have to be vigilant and why we have to be aware. And I would say to this, to our last point, is that uh, something is currently living in revival, but it might be your sin, not you. So are you stoking sin or are you watering the spirit in life? Tony, this is what makes the difference in you walking in victory and freedom and in your authority. Don't live on the fence. Don't get deceived by the fence. And when we die, we want to, don't want to be known as just a good person, but a filled person. I pray that that's said in my life. I pray it's said of yours, that I was filled with the life of Christ, not the life of this world. Because you don't take any of it with you. It's only what you did for Jesus that lasts into eternity. And I think some of us need to have a wake-up call. Some of us need to be reminded, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? As many of us, we live for all the wrong things. We live for things that are seemingly good in Western culture, but in the end can send your soul to hell. I want to leave you with this and have a time. Reflection. We see this in the church of Laodicea. This is where you get the lukewarm church. And wouldn't you love that the seven churches here who get a letter, if Jesus could put his hand on every church and say, I'm gonna write a letter to that church. Here's what you're doing good. Here's, here's where you can improve. Here's where you, you're, you're failing in. Here's where I wanna celebrate what you're doing. And I think we should always live in the mindset of what would Jesus say about our life if he could write a letter, about how we're building our faith, of how we're not compromising in sin. But he says this, he says, and the angel of the Lord in verse 14 wrote to the Laodicean church. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says this, he says, I know your works. Say, I know your faith. He doesn't say, I know what you believe. He says, I know what you did with your hands. What came from your head, went through your heart, and now through your hands. Many of us want to say that it doesn't matter what I do. But Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. He says, I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And I pray not one of us ever have to experience this. Let this not be our portion of what Christ, what aroma comes from our life would be 
a blessing to the nostrils of our Heavenly Father and not hit a godly flex and that it would be vomited out. Look at this. He says, what are you doing? What's the bad deeds? What are you, what's the issue here? It says, because you say I am rich, I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing, and I do not know, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So it's this defiance to God that I got it all together. My life is good. I got this in my checking account. I got this equity in my house. I have this college degree. My life is moving forward. I have a family. All of these things we say, and we show it to God and say, I'm good. What really need do I have of you? And he's saying, you're so blind and you're so deceived here. When in actuality, you are miserable, you are wretched, you are poor, blind, and naked. He says this in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. This is so important. This is something that can't be given to you. You've got to run after it with all you have. so that in this you truly can be rich. You can have the white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And see, many of us here, here's a key. Our eyes need to be anointed with the salve so that we may see. When you get off the fence and you begin to walk in righteousness and you are on fire for Jesus, it's as though the Spirit of God puts salve over your eyes so that you can begin to see yourself, your situations, the purpose that God has for your life. You can see it as he intended it to be, not through the eyes of deception. Many of us need the salve. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So yeah, this is hard truth. But again, a good father, when he loves us, is not afraid to rebuke and to chasten us. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, he stands at the door. Aren't you thankful that God loves you enough to stand at your door and knock to the lukewarm places of your life? He doesn't leave you to go figure it out, go try to make it happen. He says, I'm right here knocking. For many of you, he's here knocking. You know the places of compromise. You know where you're lukewarm. You know where you need to get off straddling the fence because at some point, the pain of the straddle is going to get you anyway, so you might as well get off. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. See the closeness here. And he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on the throne. Read Revelation 4. You see what the throne of Christ looks like. And as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, if you, at the end of your life, what it's saying here is you have to have an overcoming spirit. That this life, this fight, this war, is you've got to overcome the bondage of being lukewarm. Don't let it be your, your story. Don't let it be your portion. Let something change in some part of your life today to say, I'm getting off the fence. I'm going to be an overcomer. But see, Jesus knows this because look at the last scripture here in verse 22. And he always says this in Revelation. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus knew that these hard teachings, not everyone is going to hear it. Not everyone's going to jump and get ready to go and, and be on fire for God, right? 
He says, there's only going to be some that have an ear to hear it. And my question to you is, do you have an ear to hear it for those parts of compromise, passivity, lukewarmness in your life? It's not worth gambling a life of being lukewarm. It's not worth taking sin lightly. As you bow your head, I want you just to reflect for just a moment. I want this to be a, a sacred moment, a moment where you allow the Holy Spirit to arrest the part of lukewarmness in your life, the part where you're passive, where you know you need to step up, the part you know where you've put the baton down, you need to begin to lead again, the part of where the secret sin is because you've negated the secret place. I'm telling you, these are the crossroads. These are moments, if you can take them while they're here, can create deliverance. And as you're delivered, Christ will put that which used to bind you in front of you, and then you can exercise dominion over it. This is the culmination of this series of walking in the Spirit. And I'm telling you, if you don't handle the lukewarm parts of your life, they will enslave you. They will bind you. They will keep you in bondage and potentially keep what comes after you, your family, your children, and your children's children in bondage. This is not your future. This is not Christ's heart. But if you have an ear to hear, you can set step free. Set, you can be set free. You can live free. And you can be all he's called you to be. So just take a moment and reflect. What is that part? compromise of lukewarmness and he's worthy of any loss what's on the other side being a hundred percent your surrender your yieldedness don't allow the parts of your life don't allow that sin to be a divide allow the plans of God to keep you in a place of consistent revival I don't need somebody else. I don't need somebody else's word. I can go get it for myself with God. I can come to church and bless my life and not be a 911 anymore. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move right now. Move on hearts. Heal minds. We thank you. You're dealing with our past. God, that we wake up to what's happening. Don't be asleep. We contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. Fight for our family. Who's going to sing this, that he is worthy of it all? And as she sings this, I want to allow that, my prayer is that the salve of the Holy Spirit would begin to touch your eyes, that the healing, the anointing, Christ would begin to drip and that you would begin to open yourself up, to open those parts that are lukewarm and allow Jesus to touch you. Give him this moment. Don't let it pass you by. And say this, speak this in faith that he is worthy of it all. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. 
Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.